Welcome back to Dangerous Rhetoric. This is episode 98. Two more and we hit 100. Yes. I was hoping we'd hit it last year, but it's okay. We're getting there. Before I jump into this episode, as always, I will remind everyone, please like, comment, share, subscribe, all that good stuff. It helps us a lot, especially because YouTube hates us. And if you want to help continue, you know, help us continue this, donate. We will gladly take your money. Yes, give us your money. With all that said, today we are joined by another special guest. All of our guests are special. Um, Libby Evans of the Post Millennial, editor-in-chief of the Post Millennial. Yeah, that's right. Yes. Libby has studied at Columbia University, Sarah Lawrence College. She's been published in the New York Post, Federalist, and others. She's a frequent guest on TimCast, so you probably know her from there as well. And yes, we've been a fan of Libby for a while. We've been following your work. We love your Twitter page, all of that good stuff. We also met in Texas and we met in New York after the Minds Festival. So this has been a long time coming. We appreciate you coming on and chatting with us. Thanks. Glad to be so, on the show. Yes, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. When you reached out, I was very happy. I was like, yes, yes, Libby, come talk to us. <laughs> yeah, I think you reached out to me a while ago and I thought I got back to you and I, I never had. So we understand. No, we, totally we like my to, bad. <laughs> we don't like to pester people. You know, usually if they agree to come on, we assume they meant that, but we also know people have, you know, busy schedules and all that stuff going on. Uh, there's a couple people who agreed to come on that we have not been able to lock in yet, but we'll get there. But everybody's busy. Yeah. You know, that's the thing about the space. Like you really have to kind of just understand that people are busy. Yeah. And then also when you get so, when you, when you start to have like thousands of relationships and these yeah. really aren't like parasocial relationships, mm -hmm. it's very, very hard to keep track with emails, DMs, yeah. you know, we're not designed for platforms. It's like. We grew up in an evolutionary environment or a species grew up yeah. in an evolutionary environment where we were like max, we had 150 relationships. And even that would have been a lot. Yeah, it would but, have been. But yeah. with social media, it's just like, we're not designed <laughs> to have that many connections. It's funny but, too, because it feels like, it almost feels like the more connections to people I have, the less connected I am to anyone in particular. Yeah. Definitely got to hone yeah. in. Find you have your, limited bandwidth. Find your inner circle, yeah. you know, and make sure you're you're devoting time at least to those closest to you, while still being able to juggle all the other relationships and stuff. It's it's a challenge. It's a balancing act. But mm -hmm. I don't know. I guess we're adapting. I don't know how well humans are adapting. <laughs> some people this. better than others. You know, yeah. I get some, sometimes we get right. some angry DMs from people because I haven't responded, and I'm like, I'm sorry, sweetie. I yeah. get a lot of DMs. Well, once my once my Twitter following hit around like five thousand, you that, get it worse than I do. That was when I realized I was like, I can't keep up with all of these DMs because I get like nice messages and stuff from people, and and I feel bad because I'll go on my requests and mm -hmm. I'll read them, and I'm just like, oh, I want to answer you and you and you and you. With YouTube comments too, I can't. Yeah. Keep up with that. Well, the YouTube comments aren't that many. I feel like. Those we can answer here and there, but like the DMs and private messages and stuff I get sometimes, I'm just like, and some of them are sweet. And I just like, I try to go and at least read them all, but I'm like, I can't answer all of them. I tried, I actually had to turn mine off yeah. because there were, there were nice people and I was always happy to hear from nice people, yeah. but I started getting like really ex exceedingly nasty messages from people. <laughs> And I was like, I I, I don't need this at all. Yeah. Like like threats, like no. this kind of stuff. Yeah. And I was like, there's Lock. no. I know how I can fix this. I can yeah. turn this off. It's a faucet. You just well, turn the, it off. The other side and of it it's too only is, a, uh, yeah. The other side of it is uh, so my friend uh, Eva Karlova. I don't know if you know her. She's a based Canadian lesbian. She's mm -hmm. Canadian, my friend. Yeah, I follow her. 
Yeah, she's great. She's been on the show before too. Um, I made a post about this, and she told me she had to turn her requests off because she started to feel guilty because there were so many sweet messages in there, and Aww. she was like, "Oh, I've been missing all this," and I just feel bad because I don't. So I guess to mitigate feeling bad or guilty, she just turned the requests off entirely. <laughs> so there's that side of it too. But I imagine she's also getting some. Uh, nasty ones as well i think anyone standing up to the gender ideology is going to face some of that inevitably yeah that's what i've gotten them for and it's not um it's only been a few people who have actually gone to my email and decided to like email me stuff oh, so Hate mail. there's been far less far less since somebody actually has to make that extra effort yes you know? that makes sense yeah, yeah. So, but hey yeah. if you want to make the effort and email me go for it it's you're wasting your right. time you know at the end of the day yeah it's a little flattering too. It means that I think, uh, you know, we're making waves. We're having some kind of impact when those radical types feel the need to try to, uh, you know, put a damper on it. It's kind of a good sign, actually. As long as you know they're not coming to your house, <laughs> stuff like that. Yeah, we were saying that. Like, I mean, poor Timmy. How many times has he been swatted? I like, forget. I lost Cal. I know oh yeah, that's lot. been a lot. A lot. That's been like yeah, pretty extreme. And like yeah. law enforcement's basically like. Well, I don't think they really know what to do at that point. You well, know? I think if you – you can make comp – there are complicated ways to, you know, use the internet to bounce things around and make it hard for people to track. But I feel like if the security – like if the FBI really wanted to do it, like they really wanted to track you down, they could do it. That's true. Unless the, it's originating outside We, we know of the that country. from experience. Right. <laughs> or, I mean, if it's originating outside of the country, it'd be a, a yeah. harder thing to deal with. All right, let's jump into our topics today. Yes, so let's talk about Libby. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, <laughs> I like to backtrack. I like to get some, you know, background of the guests we come on here, and and you probably get these questions often. But I wanted to ask, you know, how did you get into journalism, or what sparked that interest in you? Was it something you were always that you always knew deep down, like, oh, I'm gonna become a journalist, or was there some kind of pivotal moment in your life where <clears throat> things put you on that path? Oh, I, I basically fell into journalism entirely. Uh, it was never a goal. It was never an aspiration. It was never something I'd even remotely considered doing. Um, my son's dad was involved in journalism. He was like making a second career and um, I was like working with him on that and like helping him out. Because uh, it turns out things need like all four hands sometimes. So, you know, I helped. Um, and I started writing about uh, trans stuff because he started writing about it. And I was like, no, like you have all of your angles wrong. Like you have to fix it. And he was like, just write it with me. I was like, okay. So the first article I actually wrote was for the Federalist and it was with him and we were working together um, on that and crafting the ideas about um, how basically trans reinforces gender stereotypes. Um, so I, that's a huge deal. Prior to that, I had done like a little bit. I had interviewed, I was in theater. I'm like rambling. I had interviewed a director and an actress about a one woman show they were doing about her Syrian, the actress's Syrian background and what that was all about. That was when the war in Syria was really uh, popping off. And that was published in the Brooklyn Rail, I believe, whenever going back that was. And I had a blog or whatever, but it wasn't really journalism. It was just like writing stuff because yeah. I was always writing stuff and I was a playwright. Um, that's what I studied. That's what I did for like my whole life since I was a freshman in high school. I was involved in theater and making theater, but I really ended up getting involved in journalism um, 
when my whole life fell apart in late 2018. My marriage broke up. I lost all my friends. I lost my career. I lost my day job, which New Yorkers all know, like you need at least five of those if yeah. you're going to make it in the city. So I lost, I lost that. And I decided to start walking through open doors. And that's what I did. I went to a Quillette meetup in Toronto. I had written for Quillette. Writing for Quillette is what cost me my arts career because I'd been writing about transhumanism, um, which nobody really knew what it was, but, you know, non-binary lesbians get mad. And so then <laughs> you have to not do art anymore. <laughs> this is what happens. Um, and I, I met some people with the post-millennial and... Uh, began working with them. I began writing everywhere. I started pitching everywhere. Uh, yeah. So that's, I ended up in journalism because it was, um, it was the, the best last option that I had available and it was a good decision. And it turned out to be your niche. I think that's sometimes how life works. You know, I'm an mm -hmm. artist as well. I did not think I would be doing a podcast or anything like mm -hmm. this. Uh, just post 2020 lockdowns, all of that stuff circumstances kind of just put Brent into a situation where we felt this was what we had to do. We needed to be talking about the things that were happening around us. And with all the censorship and everything cracking down on people trying to talk about it, it made us just want to talk even more. And, and now you're we, almost at a hundred episodes. Yes, so yes. that's amazing. Two, two years, April will be two years, but yeah, that's part, of wild. It too, part of it too was like, we kept having to say the same things over and over again a lot of times in social media and that that gets exhausting to type this out here and there about this topic or that topic and i kind of did just want a place where like all those thoughts were just gathered and we could speak them mm -hmm. and you could just like reference an episode sometimes and be like hey we talked about this here or we talked about this there just for the sake of convenience that was one of the reasons we got into it but yeah like i said my background is also in the arts i have a writing degree I published my own poems. I'm a painter, musician, mm -hmm. all that stuff. So do you, do you still write plays? Or are you still interested in that? Um, I love theater. I don't love what theater has become. I haven't yeah. seen any theater that I'm super into in a long time. As a matter of fact, with regards to the theater community in New York City, I was involved in the indie theater scene downtown. I was producing plays, writing plays, talking to playwrights, going to plays. Uh, that was my whole social life and it was my entire career yeah. that was really the only thing that I was interested in. Uh, when I got involved in theater, it was deviant, it was filthy, mm -hmm. um, <laughs> you know, it was profane. Uh, actors were trashed all the time. You were constantly having to deal with crazy diva personalities who were also like, you know, messed up on drugs and still Comes making beautiful, crazy art. It was, you know, kind of a yeah. wild scene. Um, everybody was always a little bit nuts and you always kind of made allowances for nuts people because they were brilliant. And if they weren't brilliant, you know, like off to rehab with you. And if you were brilliant, don't mess with what's working. So, uh, <laughs> so Fair. things really started to change and things started to change I would say politically first, people started to get incredibly aligned with um, Obama and Obama's campaign, mm. which sure, you like the president, you don't like the president, but the notion that artists should have political alignment with anyone who seeks to lead us was absolutely insane to me. Always coming up, regardless of who I voted for, I hated authority. I distrusted any 
man or woman who wanted to be in charge of all of us. I mean, here you are, you step out onto the landscape, you say, I would like to lead all of you. And my first impulse is, oh yeah, why? Like, I why? don't, probably you shouldn't, <laughs> you really want this, maybe take a step back. I, you know, the concept of the reluctant leader, I think yeah. is more interesting. You have mm -hmm. George Washington, obviously a very reluctant leader, wouldn't oh, even yes. seek a second term. So as soon as everyone started getting really gung-ho for Obama, I was immediately like, why? Like, you're artists. We question authority. We distrust power. We scoff at anyone who seeks to be in charge. We scoff at political systems. Um, we laugh at all of this. We think it's all completely backwards. Why are you suddenly in love with this man? And it didn't matter. Everyone was in love with him. Um, they really wanted to have him, like, do what he says. They wanted to do all this. And I was just like, this can't just be like, this can't be what art is coming to. And for sure, it was. It started to be um, a problem to criticize Obama, whereas previously, we had all gone out in, I think, what, 2020, 20, no, no, 2003, and we had marched against the Iraq war and the yellow cake yes. and the everything George Bush. We had protested against the RNC. We protested against the DNC. We advocated for, you know, gay rights and... We did all of this stuff, um, and then the next thing you know, we're supposed to be in love with the man in power. It's like, ladies, this is the guy who wants to be in power. Like, he wants to be in power. Yeah. Like, don't trust the man who's demanding that you give him your allegiance uh, and not giving you any straight answers. There were a lot of um, contradictions that Obama had, and the main one that I had a problem with, essentially, was that he was pro-war. He was, like, pro-Afghanistan war. And um, my main political impulses, my main political leanings are, are two. They are free speech and they are anti-war. There's other stuff, you know, I'll fall here and there. I think probably most <laughs> manufacturing should be at home. We should be more North American based than anything else, whatever else. I think mostly free speech, anti-war, those are my tenants. I, I will fight for those um, all the time. So, uh, so watching this happen in the theater community, plays about how great Obama was. And then everyone um, lost their minds when Trump won. Oh, yeah. I was not in favor of Trump anyway. Again, not in favor of anyone who seeks to lead. So so I wasn't in favor of Trump. Also, uh, coming out of New York, he's bombastic. He never pays the last 20% of any of his construction contracts. Like, you know, we know this stuff. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but he really made everyone just totally lose their shit entirely, and part it was of that, crazy. Part of that was the media too, and their <laughs> yes. their response to him is what. Really and they lied. Crazy. They literally made stuff up. They just yeah. they act, and we they know did. now they made it up. Clinton made stuff up, um, but as soon as Trump was elected, the entire focus of the New York theater scene began to be diversity, equity, inclusion, and resist. And I'd be like, what are we resisting, y'all? Like, what's going on? Resist Trump. Resist what? Like a policy? You know, resist what about Trump? Um, and there was a there was a rapid response, one-minute play project that I was involved in. Mm -hmm. And the play that I wrote, and it was supposed to be like, you know, rapid response, Trump, whatever. So my play was like, listen, I don't hope that you fail because that would be a failure for all of us. So I wish you the best success because it's the success of my country, mm -hmm. the you know, like that's, this is all we got really. Uh, everybody freaked out. 
and theater started getting super lame, even more than the super lame it already was. It had already been sort of lame because everyone wanted to like go on cleanses and do yoga. And I was like, Wait, I thought we were meeting at the bar. Like I'm, I thought we were meeting at the bar. <laughs> like what's going on? Yeah, I um, think uh, what you say about theater being like subversive, it was supposed mm -hmm. to be a theater has always been that. It's been this way to sort of uh, hold a mirror up to society, which all good art should do to criticize the power structure. Even Shakespeare was finding subversive ways to criticize sure. the power structure of, of his time, but doing it through his characters instead of like directly naming the monarchy he was living under, you know, he would reference right. like another monarchy. But uh, are you familiar with Brian Cloudus? That's, uh, yeah. I believe I've talked to him a couple of times. Yeah, we had him on the yeah. show uh, like last month, right? A few episodes back. Yeah, yeah. a few episodes back. And, um, we talked all about this subject. We had a focused episode specifically about this. He's a big stuff. theater guy. He did yeah. the uh, yeah, that's the right. production with James O'Keefe. Oklahoma. That's why we were talking. Yep. Yes, we were talking about that. I was trying to go down and see that, and I yeah. never went down. That would have been fun. So we I talked bet they would have met up at the bar. About his, his story <laughs> yeah, totally. in theater and how he got canceled, basically, for mm -hmm. you know speaking up against all the woke identity politics stuff that started to seep into there. You know, they were having, like, circles where everyone was introducing their pronouns and all this stuff and he was like what the oh hell my goodness i went to a i went to yeah i had a feminist theater collective but at one point i went to like a women's theater collective and i was sitting there and you know we sat in a circle um on the stage and uh we all had to go around and and state our pronouns and i'm looking around at these literally every single one was a woman and i'm looking around at all these women i'm like we're at a women's theater collective. Yeah. Uh, no, nobody wants to be at a women's theater collective who isn't a woman. It's already super boring, right? Like it's already, I mean, it's a women's theater collective. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, what are we supposed to talk about? And, uh, at, and people start going around and being like, my name is so-and-so and my pronouns are she, her. And every single person said she, her. And I'm like, this is so performative stupid. and stupid. And we're all literally like, we are only women sitting here. <laughs> and so we got to me and my friend who I was there with, who knows me very well, she just looked at me and she's like, girl, don't. And I was like, girl, don't. I, <laughs> I was like, I am Libby Emmons and obviously I am a female. Is that what you said? Yes. Obviously <laughs> I am a female. Bomb drop. That's so funny. And it was, and everyone just sort of looked at me like, mm, I don't know. I don't know if she should be in the women's circle since she's obviously a female. Whatever. It was so stupid. I never went back there. I was enraged. I was enraged. Yeah, <laughs> As I would expect but, one to be. Yeah. Like, what? what is your what is your sex? It's like, you know, we're not all Pat from Saturday Night Live, even though that's the going beauty standard. Do you know what I mean? I know that's a, that's a far-reaching um, reference. But yeah, theater. What's that? I'm 40, so that fits. I know. Pat. Yeah. So yeah, I, I'm, I think I missed Pat I'm in that age group as well. Yeah. But um, but yeah, so theater just started being so bad, and I'd go to stuff, and there would be like entire nights of plays devoted to anti-racism, and then there'd be like conflicts in the among the production, right within the production, because it would be like. Uh, a white writer would write a play about her white female guilt. And then because she had centered a white woman in her play, her autobiographical play about her white woman's guilt, 
then like the black writers would be like, I am so offended right now. I can't even believe it. Uh, there started being stuff like um, some friends of mine came up with this idea of what they called a jubilee year. And ironically, it was 2020. And the jubilee year was supposed to be uh, where all white male playwrights take a step back and don't get their plays produced. And I was like, y'all know that like, like this is this is these people's careers. This is their lives. You can't take an entire year and say, I'm not going to do art this year because somebody who has different skin than me really doesn't want me to. I want to like, make space for people of color. It reminds me of Oh, my incident. goodness. I forgot what university. Everyone just do your work. <laughs> I, forgot, I forgot what university this was at, but it reminds me of that incident where every year they would traditionally have a sort of day where. Evergreen. Um, Evergreen, Evergreen yeah, where the black students would, would stay home as a sort of, you know, to give an example of like what the university would be like. If Which is your there. choice. Like you don't want to go yeah. out, don't go out. You don't want to go out, don't go out. And then they tried to switch it where they wanted to force, force the white students to stay home. To leave or, campus or like to not come out. And it's like, yeah. no. It was students. It was both. It was, both. Every, it was everybody. Yeah. And like, Stupid. who was it who held his class anyway? And everyone was, was like, you're a Nazi, you're holding class. Yep, Brett yep. Weinstein, yep. Yeah, Brett Weinstein, yeah. Yeah. He was like this. Brett Weingarten. Yeah. Weinstein. It was. I think it's Weinstein. Is it Weinstein? I yeah. get everybody confused. Weinstein. Yeah, it's not Steve. All I really used to say Weinstein. I used to say Weinstein. Harvey Weinstein. But like Brett. I, I've definitely seen Brett like he's correct that it. Yeah. I, I tried to do that. Times. It's so hard. Yeah. No, he he's great though. He's a very uh brave guy himself. And look at how all of that changed the trajectory of his life too. You know, now he has his own show with his wife and all of that. He's been on Joe Rogan and all this stuff and all because he he just he said, No, I'm not mm -hmm. gonna do this. You know. Same thing with Peterson. Like we need more people saying the whole no. thing in the Daily Wire and it's like his whole <laughs> life path went and like total different turn from this <laughs> stuff. And that's what happens though when when we, you know, in the current political environment when you speak truth when you're when you decide i'm not going to be afraid i'm going to actually speak the thing that's on my mind mm -hmm. this is what happens you know you get canceled and then your life goes on a whole different path you didn't expect it to go on and you're a journalist now we're over here podcasting <laughs> do you want to talk we want to talk about livy's uh departure from yeah we could discuss that so like you know speaking oh i of, left new york yeah, yeah speaking of congratulations by and, the way thanks, yeah good thanks, for you man. you know it's a big, it's a big accomplishment. Speaking of changes and, you know, in the country and the uh, political atmosphere and, and the economic atmosphere, the city has undergone a lot of changes over the last couple of years, since 2020, especially, and the lockdowns and the mandates. A lot of people have fled the city, have moved across the country, Texas, Florida, you know, wherever, and decided uh, cities aren't for them anymore. And you can't blame them when you see the state of things now, like crime has gone through the roof i would say it's probably worse, worse as i've ever seen it in my life at least there's graffiti everywhere um trash the, the city smells like a giant blunt now um <laughs> that is really upsetting actually like i don't like that how bad yeah. the city smells it's like a combination of uh trash bug killer and weed yeah and urine don't forget urine <laughs> oh yeah yeah. Do you remember that time? I, I think it was a while back now, but do you remember at one point the entire Lower East Side smelled like maple syrup? Do you remember that? I think so, yeah. That was absolutely like... exceptionally spectacular. It was like, it was a whole day, and it was just like, wow. You ever we could past... do this all the time. You ever walk past like a Dunkin' Donuts factory? Oh my God, it smells so good. It smells <laughs> no. like intoxicating. Yeah, Lower I did go on a tour of a Dunkin' Donuts college when I was okay. um, a Girl Scout. 
fun fact. <laughs> but yeah, you know, the, the city has taken a downturn for sure. And I feel like, you know, the people who arrived within the last couple of years, and there are definitely new people in the city. There are people, you know, just like all this swapping has happened with people leaving New York and going to other states. There are, I think, woke people and stuff who are leaving other states, maybe more conservative areas, and coming into the cities as well. Yeah, these are the people who want to be compliant. They want to yeah. be told what to do. They want their leaders to tell them where they can be yeah. and when and under what circumstances. Yep. Um, and I found that absolutely horrifying. Yes. I mean, and that was sort of what I was going to get to with the theater thing before I veered all the way off course was the theater community of artists who should have been interested in profane, um, filthy art decided to do what the government told them to do and get mad at anyone who didn't. So weird. Yep. And they it's segregated us too. We anathema to art. shows anymore. Mm -hmm. Like people who refuse to um, take a particular substance into their body that they didn't want there were no longer we're allowed to. Uh, and you couldn't get jobs either. Actors couldn't, couldn't get jobs, get jobs if they didn't take the take the shots. Yeah, you know, it's insane. So. We got, I mean, I had a problem getting a job in Florida as a nanny and tutor because I wouldn't, you know, take the uh, experimental yeah. injectable. And that's what the, you know, uh, you know, I tend to do like the high end nannying and that's what all the families wanted. They all yeah. wanted, you mm -hmm. know, their nannies to be Well, because really the high end, the, the rich people are the compliant ones. Yeah. 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 Well, they read the New York Times and listen to NPR and they think those they rich liberals. Yeah, yeah exactly. Of thinking they know everything, you know, what I was going to say is that I feel like a lot of the new arrivals to New York City simply don't know how much it's changed. I don't think they realize how different the city they are entering is from the one pre-lockdowns, yeah. you know, pre-mandates, all of that stuff. It's it's just, it's not the same. The whole vibe is different. And yeah, I know cities have always been rough and gritty and, you know, they've always kind of smelled. There's way more trash normal. now, though. But yes, there's way more trash now. A lot just, of those surgical masks yeah. just strewn about the street all the time. Definitely more homeless on the streets. Definitely more addicts on the streets. Definitely more graffiti. Mental illness. Definitely more mental illness, more crime. Um, and there's still well, the a thing huge, with this. there's a huge portion of places that are still closed and up for lease. Mm -hmm. And there's been no turnaround in those places. Like, I've never yeah, seen so seeing many the, like, empty closed, buildings. Yeah, seeing closed storefronts on Fifth Avenue on Madison Avenue, it's really Crazy. painful. Yeah. I mean, it's Fifth Avenue. Like you're supposed to be able exactly. to walk down Fifth Avenue and it's luxurious retail and it's spectacular. It's like a museum piece, you know? Uh, same with Mad, you know, same with Madison. So- uh, Every neighborhood, every major yeah. street, I would say there are, cl there are closed places. There are closures. Yeah. And the thing too, that you have to realize is that the landlords um, who own those buildings can take a tax write-off for the market rate amount of the lease, even though th that they're not able to charge because no one will pay for it. So the market rate is, is incredibly high. The landlords don't have to take deals because they can take this massive tax deduction uh, for the market rate amount of the lease that they are not, that they don't have active. So that's a big issue as well. And I know that there have been some city councilmen working to change that saying like, you have to lease your property. Yeah. Um, if you can't get market rate, like lease it for less, you know, uh, clearly those market rates need to change. Probably though, what'll happen is it'll just be a bunch of chase banks and new weed stores. 
that's probably true. And there's a lot of maybe a Dwayne Reed, right? Or wait, it's Walgreens yeah. now. It's Walgreens. Walgreens. Yeah, I think I think part of the issue too is there's a lot of reluctance for new businesses to even try to come in and set up shop here because of the increase in crime and graffiti and all the other sure. stuff. Sure, the shoplifting yeah. has been crazy. Yes. Yeah, and also online retail has made such a huge dent in uh, regular businesses. But you also have groups like Chashama, right, which is a theater company. It's like a theater group um, that is run by uh, one of the heirs of the Dursts, you know. And they have this thing where, which is actually pretty cool, where they make deals with landlords who have vacant storefront spaces and they put art in the spaces. Okay. So the landlords continue to get their tax write-off for the lease. They also get a tax write-off for making a donation to a charitable organization. And then the storefronts are filled. And I've seen that happen, um, but mostly I think they just do it with, with dursts because they're dursts. Right. So it'd be cool to spread that out or a model like that for other yeah. landlords. Because you walk by, I'm sure you guys have the same thing. You walk by these like palaces, these storefront palaces. They're huge. And you look in and you're just like, wow, I could do such an amazing project yes. in there. You know, like I'd build this over there. I'd yeah. have sets over here. I'd hang these lights. <laughs> be One wonderful. of my dreams is to... Uh have a bookstore you know i would love to retire and just run a little used bookshop and i've definitely walked by a couple locations in manhattan where i'm just like man that would be such a great right used bookstore like but ugh. it's like twenty thousand dollars a month yeah. for, to rent the storefront there's no way anyone can afford that yeah you I'm, know i was thankful though a lot of a lot of probably actually all of my favorite bookstores survived the lockdowns and the whole economic decline and i think part of that is they do a mixture now of in-person and online selling. They also sell books mm -hmm. online as well. And they, they already took a huge hit when Amazon came about. So, so they already I, knew, like, already we're going to be an they, indie bookstore. They, they, they've adapted to those changes long before a lot of other places did because booksellers very much took a huge hit when eBay and Amazon became more popular and they had to change their models or have at least a, a combined model of doing business of selling online as well as selling in person. But, and I love, I love online books shopping. I do it all the time and I flip books online myself, but there's nothing like the in-store experience, you know, especially a used bookshop because it's like a treasure hunt. So I really, I yeah. Love those places. Or like the Strand. The Strand is yeah. still great. Although yeah. I was so upset when they refused to shelve Abigail Schreier's book, Irreversible yeah, Damage. Woke. They're, they're woke. woke. Yeah. And so that's so annoying. Yeah. Well, you can totally yeah. tell. Yeah. It's funny. I hear uh, sirens in your background and roosters in mine. Uh, yeah. That, that's just shows the difference in our environments right now. Very bizarre. <laughs> so, you know, I also wanted to bring up you. You were on Jack Posobiec's show recently and you talked about mm -hmm. this leaving New York City. And you had a sort of like revelatory moment around the holidays um, of just how different your environment is now. Maybe talk a little bit about that because I thought that was interesting. Yeah, so don't get me wrong. I miss New York. I love New York. New York is always uh, my home because it's a place where you can be permanently transient. Yeah. And that's pretty much how I feel about myself, it turns out. Um, so yeah, I left. I wanted a better life for my son. I wanted a school where there weren't fights in the halls. And I wanted to own some land that seemed like that would be a fun thing to do. Uh, so I, I moved. And one thing that happened shortly after New Year's was that I woke up and I heard the sound of church bells. And the church bells were playing Christmas carols. 
I had literally never heard this before in my life. I grew up in the suburbs of Massachusetts, uh, summers in New York where my mom lived, um, uptown. I lived in Philadelphia for a time. I finished high school there. And I had never heard church bells playing Christmas carols. Uh, what child is this away in a manger? I was just like, oh my goodness gracious. I'm used to hearing um, calls to prayer from the local mosque. I'm used to hearing mad sirens, dirt bikes at all hours of the night because ever since the pandemic, there have been roving gangs yeah. of like 50 dirt bikers just peeling yeah. off down the streets. Uh, Jackhammers, don't forget Jackhammers. Jack yeah. I haven't heard a lot of that. There wasn't a ton of building in my um, far reaches of Brooklyn neighborhood, but certainly cats mewling, children screaming, parents yelling in languages that I could neither identify nor understand, which is great. I lived in a very immigrant-heavy neighborhood. Yeah. It was a traditionally immigrant neighborhood, Bay Ridge, Brooklyn. So immigrants came in, Norwegian immigrants came in to build the Verrazano Bridge. There were Italian immigrants, which we saw in uh, what that John Travolta movie in the 70s that I've never watched the whole thing of because... It's just not my jam. Um, Greeks came in. Now there's like a ton of Arabs, uh, Chinese, Central Americans. But it's a neighborhood that traditionally is a turnover of immigrants. So it's yeah. kind of cool. You know, like there's a great Middle Eastern grocery store. I've learned to love unfiltered Lebanese olive oil, things like this. But um, just a totally, it, it was not a place where I was seeing my culture particularly even when I would go to church on Sundays, the English speaking mass was small and um, mostly elderly people were at the mass and the homily was geared toward being old, really, you know? Yeah. Uh, and my son and I would just be like sitting there like, okay, you know, we're here for mass. We're trying to be part of this community it is difficult. And then when you walk out and the 12 o'clock mass is gearing up, it's families. It's like masses of families. And they all had a bunch of kids and they all speak Spanish and it's a Spanish speaking mass. And I thought like, why? First of all, this is probably a good enough reason to learn Spanish is so that we can go to this mass and be part of this community. On the other hand, it's hard to be part of that community. I had, um, I had taught catechism at my church for a couple of years, and one of the boys in my class had asked me to be his sponsor, and his family pretty much only spoke Spanish. He was bilingual, um, you know, as the kids always are until their kids uh, then are just English speakers <laughs> is what happens. But um, he asked me to be his, his sponsor for uh, confirmation, and I was incredibly honored, and it was very sweet, and his family was incredibly kind. And they invited us to their big party for the confirmation. Um, and this was some of the best barbecue I've ever had literally in my life. Nice. I don't even know how to replicate it, but it was very hard to be part of, we, we don't speak Spanish, right? My son and I speak Spanish and um, probably should have learned. I did try to learn actually for quite a few years and I failed I to learn I'm, it even I'm so. I'm part Cuban and I don't speak Spanish, so I have well, less of an excuse than you do. <laughs> I have two half sisters who are half Puerto Rican and they also do not appear to speak Spanish. 
Um, <laughs> their I, I mom wish, does. I wish I had learned it growing don't. up, but my dad doesn't speak it. My grandma doesn't speak it. My aunt doesn't speak it. And they were the other adults around me growing up. Only my mom speaks it. And she didn't speak it around them because they didn't. Therefore, mm -hmm. it wasn't really spoken around me and my brother. So we didn't really pick up very much of it. So that's what happened too in my family, except it was Italians and Norwegians. So the Italians, my great grandparents were Italian. They immigrated to Brooklyn. Their children didn't, they, they knew Italian because that's how they spoke to their parents, but they did not um, want to speak Italian. They both changed their names. My grandmother changed her first name to appear less Italian. My grandfather changed his last name, dropping the vowel from the end uh, in order to get work eventually. But my grandmother went from Anna to Anne. Okay. And she was just like, I'm Anne. Yeah. And I was like, Grandma, Anna is beautiful. And she was like, nah, nah, it's not. Nah, like, it's okay. not. Nah. Yeah, my, my nah. dad's mother, my grandmother, she's uh, half Italian. And her line comes from Naples. And I think they immigrated here around. Oh, 19, maybe we're cousins. 1901, 1902. And her maiden name is Serpico. So mm -hmm. have you ever seen the movie Serpico? I sure was, have. Yeah, so that's one of, that's like her second or third cousin. I believe I would love to get him on the show. He's still alive. He's still I believe. Yeah. Oh, you totally should. That would be yeah. really cool. He, he answered me on Instagram a couple years ago and then like stopped using Instagram because he's probably too old to keep up with. <laughs> I think he's in his eighties now, but he would be a very interesting guest to have on here. But we always heard the legend of, you know, Serpico, the cop in my family, when I was growing right. up, my aunt would always tell us about that. Like you're related to that guy. But um, yeah, like she doesn't speak Italian. I think her father, Harry, spoke a bit of it, but her grandparents definitely did speak it. And it just, it didn't pass on, you know, like certain things yeah. from the tradition did like cooking and those sorts of things. Oh, I can make a mean dish. eggplant. Yeah. Nice. But yeah, my family does too. My Sunday sauce is really out of this world. You know, I mean, I love cooking Italian, but, um, Italian but yeah, it's, it's sort of a strange thing because I feel like in a lot of ways, even though I have landed in a new place, um, and even though I loved New York, you know, with all my heart and still do ever since I was a little kid and my mom lived there, um, I do feel like I don't have any, uh, I feel like I have no roots. I feel like I don't exist in any one place. So I'm hoping that I get comfortable here, that I, um, find friends and a community, but I wonder that I'll ever feel uh, connected to, to the ground, connected to a people. I certainly never have other than uh, the arts community feeling yeah. part of, part of um, I always felt connected to any artists, you know, like it was instant, sort of like how Jerry Seinfeld talks about how he only likes comedians. Yeah. You know, I That's only ever have really- That's probably why we're really... vibing. That's probably why right? we vibe, yeah. <laughs> I totally, I feel at home with artists wherever that is. And even when I was a kid and I would visit my mom and she would always take me places. Um, and at the end of the day, you know, we're out skiing, whatever it is. And she'd be like, oh, should we go home? And I'd be like, yeah, because home is literally wherever you are, mm -hmm. uh, as long as you're at home in your own head and in your own heart. Um, but yeah, I feel it. I, I definitely continue to feel a permanent transience and it's almost a relief to find that even though I'm sitting here literally on land that I purchased that I own like you know that I spent my own hard hard-earned money to buy it's interesting that I still feel entirely impermanent and yeah. transient and temporary 
it's almost a relief to know that those feelings come with me and not with the place where I am. Yeah. It's just a part of who you are, it seems. It's part mm -hmm. of your demeanor and, and partly, I guess, because of your upbringing, because you lived in so many different places. Like, I came of age and lived yeah. in one place for most of my life. Like, That's was, cool. Yeah, was it so, New York? No. Elizabeth, New Jersey. Um, right, right. New Jersey, yeah, well, of course. New York, I've always been coming back and forth ever since I was a kid because mm -hmm. it's about 14 miles from where I grew up. Go to any four or five-story building. You know, and you look in that direction, you'll you'll see New York City. So mm -hmm. we were very close, and culturally, I would say Elizabeth is kind of similar to like Spanish Harlem, sort of. So yeah, they're just they're very similar. I've driven through Elizabeth, New Jersey, countless, countless times. That's where I'm. It's from. right there. It's literally right there. Right there. So that's where it's I right came across of the age. And, you know, I started coming to New York more within like the last seven, eight years. I would be visiting here, coming back and forth, and then I moved here last year. So now I'm like a official new yorker a new york resident but you know when people ask me where i'm from i just i'm from elizabeth new jersey i i own that you know that's that's where i'm from i'm in new jersey i'm not a new yorker that's yeah. funny people say to me they ask me where i'm from and i say i'm from the northeast <laughs> the northeast. you know it's just like the whole thing like i'm yeah. from there you know yeah i think you'll you'll put roots down to some extent i think especially now that you've purchased you know land and it's yours like i think yeah you're gonna have to make some effort to try to feel that way like hey this is mine you know i belong here <clears throat> well i want to put um, trees on it and stuff yes, and i think that would be cool it. but i also trees. really like the idea i really i really like the idea that uh i could have a place to keep all my stuff yes and <laughs> oh, to hang out good. you know and to like hang out but um i do of course have that perpetual fantasy of being a a one suitcase person you know and i'm just always somewhere else I love, I, with Post Millennial in the past uh, couple of years, I would say since 2019, because first we were, we were based in Montreal. So I would go up there periodically to like say hi to the fellows at the office. Um, and in 2019, I was freelancing, but I knew that that was the place where I wanted to get staffed because it was um, small, it was new. It was somewhere I could get in on the ground floor and really have an impact and shape it with my own creative ideas. So even though definitely, you know, there's other people whose fingers are in that mix and like making that pie, um, I knew that I could have a big impact. And so I kept going up there to like, be like, hey, Stephanie, Stephanie, you know, I'm writing for you every day, even though you're paying me hardly anything because yeah. <laughs> I can see an opportunity when it hits me in the face. I'm like yeah. Ferengi, you know? So, <laughs> so I, that, I kept right? going up there and, um, uh, you know, maybe I have the lobes for it. Who knows? Anyways, <laughs> you're a nomad uh, at heart. It sounds right. Like. Yeah. But I kept going up to Montreal and I had opportunities <clears throat> to travel. And even since the pandemic, like we were just like, Oh, let's go do stuff. It sucks that we're locked down. So let's not be, there's no reason to be, we don't have to be. And it's been great to get to, I've seen more of the country in the past couple of years than I had seen previously in my entire life. So you're you're a super spreader, and you got all these people sitting across the country breaking. That's correct. Yes, yes. How dare you? Listen, I I've seen you guys at like where'd we where'd we uh, like uh, Wisconsin? Didn't Texas, I see you in not Wisconsin? Uh, no, it was, uh, Fort, okay. Fort Worth. Yeah. Fort Worth. Fort Worth. Right. 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 Oh, for uh, Smith and, and the Farm. Yes, yeah, Smith and Farm. Yeah. yeah, and no, then we, here in New York, you know, here in New York, wherever I am. 
multiple state mm-hmm. lines during uh, the lockdowns and basically broke every single guideline. They all oh, social distance. I no, loved it. That. Wear a mask. No, we're not Thrills. doing that. Get a shot. Thrills. No, we're not doing that either. <laughs> so it there were sacrifices, yeah. of course, but. I, I remember being like in DC and then Maryland and then like uh, Montana and then, you know, Phoenix, Las Vegas, uh, a couple of times in Wisconsin, yeah. Florida, Texas, literally like all, Nashville. All up I'd never been to. Coast. Yeah. Yeah, we were, yeah. we were pretty much just on the East Coast. And no, we were back and forth between Florida. We were in Massachusetts as well. And yeah. Me too, New Hampshire. Different states. Yeah. Whatever, screw well, that. Massachusetts, man. I had to get a COVID test because I was going to see my family and they were like, hmm, bad. Bad. <laughs> uh, we just lied about that. <laughs> like my aunt drove up and down a couple times from there because she lives in Massachusetts, you know, to visit in New Jersey. And yeah, they, they want you to they wanted you to like report yourself, basically, and then quarantine. Yeah. No. No. I'm like, don't do no. that. I'm like, they don't need to know. How I'm like, you. screw that. How them. dare you yeah. presume to tell it's me? So stupid. No, so stupid. Uh, should we talk about uh yeah go for it so i wanted to ask you libby how did the event go in dc i saw you know timmy recently acquired the uh the skateboard company and then i, I was watching the show and i heard him oh, say, he bought a whole company yeah, he bought the, well he's gonna start a company but he, okay. he sort of like claimed this symbol that they this this old company had uh you know cast off because a few malcontents on the internet were like that's a nazi symbol oh the the cross that looks it's like the rounded the, uh, cross it looks like the iron cross but it's not well it looks like the knight's templar cross basically i think that's why they were mad about it uh, well, no, people were mad about it because it looked like the Iron Cross, which oh. is a Nazi symbol, but it doesn't because it was on, you know, it's not, you can compare the two, they don't look alike. Gotcha. Anyway, so he's going to put this on his skateboards, and I saw he was sort of drumming up interest, and he had this event. Um, give us a little bit, you know, what was that like? How did it go? How many people were there? Were there any detractors? Oh, it was cool, actually. I ended up writing about it for Post Millennial. Um, yeah, I've got the article pulled up. Because it was kind of fun to, like, get to write a little bit of narrative here and there. Yeah. Um, so that was cool. But, yeah, so Tim asked me if I wanted to come out, to come check it out. Uh, I knew Taylor Silverman was going, and I think she's really just a bee's knees. So um, I headed out to D.C. to see what they were up to, and it was really just a skate meetup. The previous weekend, Tim had gone out um, and there had been people out there saying like, what are you doing here? We don't want you here. And so in typical uh, in typical obstinate fashion, which I appreciate and respect personally, uh, Tim decided to go out and uh, bring, some, bring some decks to give out to fans that were there. He announced it on the show a couple of times and a bunch of fans showed up. I didn't see any detractors. There were rumors at one point that someone was calling it skate for hate, but that <laughs> turned out to be entirely sarcastic. Okay. It was like just it's a, a joke. joke. Yeah, it's a joke. And yeah. it was it was a joke. Uh, there were a fair number of people out there. We were trying to figure yeah, out afterwards like how many. Yeah, that was just one shot. Um, mm-hmm. We were trying to figure out how many people were there, but nobody remembered how many decks they had brought. So we couldn't even figure it out based on that. But I would say there were probably something like 50 to 75 people on a very cold day for DC with little drizzle flurries coming down. And it was fun. Like uh, the fans were out, there were local people. There were also people from across the country, uh, St. Louis, Colorado, upstate New York, um, Florida. People had come out. You know, and they were, um, and Tim is super, uh, 
into his fans. Like he's really, he's like appreciative of them and they're appreciative of him. So it was really nice to see that kind of one-on-one interaction. Yeah, I like I like that he's been trying to shift focus more toward culture. And he's talked about this a few times on the show before, just because the politics it does get tiresome, you know. Yeah, and culture exhausting. is really yeah. where yeah, culture too is like uh where where we really can have an impact yep. before things get to the political yes. level. These days, everything in our culture is political though. And artists I think are to blame for that in so many ways because you have artists going out to Hollywood saying that their whole thing is to make a show based on message, you know, to like do all of this stuff, um, do all of this stuff, uh, you know, to further a political idea instead of to be honest, instead of to be forthright with their feelings or understanding of the world or ways of perception or any or of this kind to, of stuff. Or simply to entertain. <laughs> Tell a good story. To entertain, story. to make beautiful yeah. things. Yes. You know, instead they like to um, they like well, to disrupt the narrative. And it's like, okay, you can disrupt the narrative, but you're not making a better one, you know? <laughs> so, um, you know, I like to draw on old myths and legends and stories that uh, have been with humanity since the beginning of time. I was working on a play at one point um, that was uh, about the goddess Diana. And it was actually because um, a man who I know, where was he? In San Francisco with a theater group had suggested that I write about the goddess Diana. And so I, I did, and it was a full length play and it was really a lot of fun. But I made the goddess Diana a contemporary composer who was searching for the original melody huh. at the beginning of time. Cool. And eventually, and it was a cool project, you know, um, and she eventually found it. And what I used for the original melody was the Hurian hymn, which comes out of Mesopotamia. And it was the first, uh, it was the first piece of music that was written down. Wow. And you can find that we know. Yeah, yeah. that we know of. Yeah. Um, and what she was looking for in my play was the first melody that, you know, a mother sang to her infant because so, you know, this is a thing. This is mothers singing to children. So I, I delved into that a bit. I don't remember what my point was. I'm oh, similar, you have to, like, yeah. make new stuff. <laughs> I'm similar in my interests, too, in, like, myths and ancient cultures mm -hmm. and stuff. Like, I paint in oils. Um, I've done a painting of Apollo um, in 2020. That was one of the one of the things I worked on. And right now I'm planning a painting of Thor fighting a oh, fun. Jormungandr. So that, that's going to be fun as well. But I, I just think the whole the whole focus on culture is definitely the better route to take when it comes. Cause you know, this is commonly being described as a culture war. We hear this term often now, and I think it's uh, one of the best strategies we can take toward pushing back against the woke is like providing other options that are better options for people because I think people are looking for those better options. I think a lot of people really are tired of the woke stuff. They're tired of being browbeat. They're tired of being preached to, you know, we talked to Brian Cloudis on that episode with him and we've talked to other artists on the show before we've talked to musicians on the show before, like my friend, Andy Thomas, he's a guitarist for a band called rivers of Nile. They're like a metal band and talked to Paul Masvidal. He's a famous uh, musician from a band called cynic. And that episode, we didn't really touch on politics like at all. You know, we just talked about music. We just talked about creativity. 
And when we first started the show, we knew that we didn't want it to just be about politics. We knew mm -hmm. that we wanted to have that wider range of things we've discussed, as well as like stuff like psychology and history. Aliens and, and religion. Religion, aliens, like the paranormal stuff. Well, politics is boring that. compared to all of that stuff. Yes. And also we're looking now, like what's the big, the big victory that conservatives had this year was taking back the house. But yeah. without any action in the Senate or in the White House, there's no ability to make new laws, um, you know, that are going to be reflective of the majority of Americans' values at this point. So what the lawmakers can do is stage investigations. And I saw recently an article that was saying, it was like, I don't know if it was Washington Post, it was something like that, where they were saying that uh, lawmakers in Congress, after taking back the House, are really just doing... Um, you know, performative things. They're not actually taking a stand. And it's like, yeah, they can't. Yeah. They can't make laws. Right. And even if they could make laws, uh, by the time you have to make laws and go to court, you've already lost. You know, like you have to you have to get in on a ground floor of something. You have to get in at the cultural level. Yeah. Um, and I do think that's important. And I think parents, when they are interested in their kids taking music classes or art classes, you have to be careful because these are increasingly indoctrination centers. Mm -hmm. And it's not that they're going, they're going to learn technique, um, but only as a side effect of learning about, you know, woke ideology and how you're really not the gender you thought you were. Speaking of that, <laughs> Brent was recently in Boston with Billboard Chris, who he stayed here with us. Oh, too. were you at the uh, were you at the Children's Hospital thing? Was yeah, it was the Hospital second protesting. second time I went out. Yeah. Um, the first time there was a lot more counter protesters. Uh, granted, it was a better you know better day. It's the weather was nicer. It was, it was yeah, raining. you notice it's like cold. Antifa doesn't come out when it's cold. Yeah, the, well, we were, like they're wusses or something. Like, what's the deal with yeah. that? Mm. Well, the one thing, so there were two things that were that happened that were kind of interesting uh, at the hospital. The first thing was that we heard on the ground that, that Antifa actually was uh, 45 minutes away in a town called Falls River protesting the protest of a drag queen story hour. So there was like a, they were. That's been the, happening a lot in Texas too. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah they were showing up with. And there, so, and also, our protest at the hospital had something like 150 police officers show yeah. up. So there were yeah. cops on motorcycles, yeah. bikes. Chris described it as like cars. like presidential treatment. It was Insane. unreal, and there were there was zero counter protest. Um, we had a couple people walk by. That uh, most people that walked by were actually like, "Thank you, appreciate you." We had some people honk their horns, give us a thumbs up, um, and we had like one person I think outside the hospital in a mask being like you guys shouldn't be here <laughs> this is always one of the things that they say is that you know we shouldn't be there or that it's not relevant and i'm like honey like do you know what's going on right now in the country with these d-trans kids because it's very relevant yeah well i think some of them do know and they not only do they not care they like support it they advocate for this crap it's the reversal they yeah. think that it's like you know a healthy appropriate medical treatment for children that if you don't do it they're just going to self-delete and it's just not true yeah. and this is one of the first subjects you started writing about when you when you got into journalism like you said <laughs> and i think it, it is i think it's it might be the most important issue right now i don't you know i'm not going to try to say that 
we should have a hierarchy of what issues are more important than other issues, but I think this should be at the forefront. And it's also one of the best ways I think, you know, Republicans actually can make. So winning issue for conservatives. You know, it's a winning issue. Yeah, I mean, it's, it is so long as conservatives don't continue to use the same language that the left traps up. Yeah. So you can't say, like, don't say gender affirming. Nope. Because yeah. that sounds like a really super nice thing. Like, oh, I'm being affirmed. It's great. Gender affirming care. Uh. It's just, it's it's sex changes for children. Yes. And even that is a misnomer because you can't You can't actually sex. change that. It's not possible. And that's, no. that's the lie that they sell a lot of these people. I mean, the adults, thing too you know? is like, if you could really legit, if you could actually change your sex, way more people would do it. Oh, yes. yeah. Probably. But you can't actually. So you should just suck it up and be who you are. Yep. Right. Yeah. There was actually an interesting book called Steel Beach written uh, back in, like, I think it was the like 80s, where the main character goes male to female in the beginning of the story. And their technology in, in this future cyberpunk setting is perfect. And they, they have a perfect transition where it creates the female version of you using nanotechnology. Mm -hmm. And it gives you the Y chromosome or the extra X chromosome in his case. And he comes out as, you know, a complete and beautiful woman. That's not what we have. And and even- I wish I could do something like that. I would love to come out as a complete and beautiful woman. You look Are you kidding? I wrote a play where one of the characters sells an aborted baby fetus for parts and then uses the money to get what we call femgenderization surgery in the play. She gets- she gets an ass fat boob job, which is where wow. they take the fat from your ass and they put it into your boobs. Um, she gets like jawline contour. She removes ribs. She does like a whole thing with her hips. She gets her legs broken so she can be just a little bit taller. Um, yeah. Oof. You know, I think the thing too is like, uh, you'll see people come, you'll see people being like, oh, conservatives were never upset when it was a bunch of 16 year olds getting nose jobs, which was, trendy uh even before my time in high school like girls wanted to get nose jobs and stuff um but conservatives have always been sort of opposed to uh cosmetic surgeries on kids yeah. and you see these women in uh there's like this ukrainian barbie doll woman have you guys seen this woman no oh god uh, oh my goodness I you the, should the, check it out the guy who <laughs> became Korean and then became trans and then or how Madonna is looking lately which is not good. yeah Madonna looks she like I don't understand the lip things I've got to say like I don't understand the lip things because then you can hardly move your mouth like did you see the one where she like tried to kiss the viewers and she's like Ugh. Oh dear. Do you see that one? No. Oh, it was terrifying. <laughs> it was terrifying. Stuff. I don't know. The funniest really backlash scary. I've seen like on so that I've gotten on Twitter for this stuff is like, you know, I'm I'm into fitness. Once in a while I'll post my gains and my physique and stuff. And I had one of these trans tra you know This is the oh, Ukrainian wow. Barbie woman. Oh, she looks wow. weird. But I had one of these, you know, radical Oh, her face is so weird. True. And then she it, does then she does Instagram filters, like on top of everything else. Oh wow. So she's right? had all these surgeries, right? So to look like that. Yeah. yeah. So I've had someone push back on me and say, oh, well, you know, why do you care about fitness and all this stuff? Like, why don't, why don't you just be happy with the body you were given? And I'm just like, pushing your body in a natural way to better it, 
right? Physically, it's not the same thing as like taking steroids or getting surgeries or removing your genitals oh, that or taking hormones. So that finding is that the Ken man? That's the Ken guy. The Ken guy. Yeah. I don't know, man. I don't know. Hell world. <laughs> One of the issues. <laughs> the digital creations almost. There's, there, well, there's like there's real. definitely some filtering happening so? overlay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of the other issues, though, is when you do like all of the breast stuff, you lose sensation. I've heard that. That yeah. seems unpleasant too. To like, yeah. and also with the genital reconstructioning, you know, it's like you do all of this stuff so that you're visual, visibly more appealing, but you experience far less pleasure That's in your life. Creepy. Which is she's creepy. She looks like an android. Mm -hmm. But I think that's how... And she did that whole thing to her eyes. Like, that's yeah. a whole eye thing, too. What, she made so her eyes weird. bigger? Yeah, they look kind of like anime eyes. Yeah, well, I think that that's what they're going for, is they're trying to go for that look. And it's another thing, and Brent and I noticed, too, on Twitter, I'm sure you do, too, is, like, a lot of the, the trans radical activists, you never see their faces. A lot of them just hide behind, like, an anime profile picture or a furry or something like that. Like, plus a lot of them are probably bots, too. That's a whole other thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah speaking of art we also we were up so we went up to uh boston for two days chris was originally going to do his protest on friday but the police had asked him if he could reschedule for a day because they were doing this uh this unveiling of the the embrace and right. apparently a lot of people so a lot of people were not happy with the embrace when we were out there we went out so we went out to sort of just talk to people in the crowd and hang out i did a I attempted to live stream while I was there, but YouTube was very not cooperating or there was not enough bandwidth and the video came out kind of kind of fuzzy. But uh, I got, you know, three hours of him talking to different people and a lot of people were upset that the, the structure seemed to resemble a, uh, you know... A well, they're looking at it from the back. Like, this seems like a classic situation where people only looked at it from the front. Yeah, so it looks different depending on the angle that yeah. you're looking at it, you know, mm -hmm. and... It was taken from this photograph, which is a you know classic photograph of Dr. King and his wife embracing. Right, um, and it's at the. It was when he got the peace prize, I think. Oh, uh, where? Okay, yeah, I didn't even get that part. But mm -hmm. they they also had this event up there, and they it was a ticketed event, so <laughs> a lot of people and they didn't advertise the fact that it was ticketed in advance. They said open to the public, you know, it was going to be available for the public. And then so a lot of people get there and they're told that they have to have a ticket to actually get like inside the fenced area. And then the they little ring. Jumbotrons. Right. Yeah. And so they had jumbotrons yeah, set up outside people, for the riffraff. Some people traveled from far away, yeah, so right? People traveled yeah. from, you know, hours to get there. Um, and, you know, they, they were turned basically turned away. And the worst thing was that the, there were no tickets available. They were already all sold out by the time they got there. And they didn't tell They were probably all given away by the mayor yeah. already. Yep. Yeah. That's, that's probably what it was. Because when people coming out, it was a lot of VIPs, um, you know, family members of the Kings, which is fine. I, you know, I understand that. But it's supposed to be like an event for the public. It's just a little, it seemed a little exclusive, you know, from the party that likes to tally their inclusivity and how inclusive they are so inclusive. To, to just put a you know huge barricade up around the site and say oh wait only the special people can come in it's just like ah so i talked to a you know one uh you know black uh youtuber and streamer who was there and he spoke to a bunch of black people that were pissed they couldn't get inside understandably so uh you know they could have just told people in advance but i think they would have also it wasn't it an outdoor event it yeah. was it's in yeah. the commons so Boston Common. So what's the 
deal. Like I've been to Boston Common. There's plenty of room. It's the commons. It's they for fenced, the people. They fenced the whole section off. They made it like an, it was an eight foot high fence. And... So they they on purpose made it exclusive. Yes. Then told people it was open to the public. Yes. When there was absolutely no reason to make a fence. Right. I, I mean, wow, I that's know, so stupid. Had, maybe they had some some threats, or there was some. Maybe they oh, had they some did not. Reason. No, they come on. <laughs> <laughs> You know, like just get media set up first, have a little red carpet area for the VIPs and you're golden. You're done. They could have done like that easy. a little dais, you know, put the fancy people on the little dais. They'll be right. happy because now they're like, oh, they're elevated above the riffraff. Yeah. yeah. Like, you know, put them up there. The rest of us uh, could hang out in the VOM and it's All the fun. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I was fun. not there. I was here uh, babysitting the dog, but I was manning the was chat weird. in the live stream. And the funniest part to me was I hear in the background. Oh, your dog moved places. Yeah, he's over there now. Sometimes so he does that. I'm, I'm listening to the live stream, you know, I'm watching the chat and like Brent's over there in Boston. And I hear Ion Presley in the background, basically saying we are still in the civil rights movement. Oh, the Congresswoman, the yes. bald Congresswoman. She literally she said, she said, we are still, still in the civil rights movement. And I just, it reinforced this thought that I already have about the woke. They don't live in reality. They live in the past. They literally Well, the live thing the is past. they can't. Yeah. And they, but they can't have the civil rights movement be over because then they wouldn't have anything to campaign on. Right. They wouldn't have anything to talk about. They wouldn't have anything to believe in. It's just like uh, the human rights campaign, you know, that big foundation. Yes. They just keep changing everything, you know, because otherwise they would have to go out of business every time they achieve their goals. These um, DEI professionals are not actually looking to eradicate racism. They're looking to further it so that they continue right. to get raises and have reasons to have jobs. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Just And I heard that and I was just like, Really? Yeah. Like, there's they, been no progress. No progress. Last, nothing. Like, no. It's okay. Years. Like, oh wow. It's such it's, a denial of reality. And this comes back to what I think. It's is also probably just a lie. I don't even know if they. Well, how many of them believe that? That's the point. The crooks of you know the culture war, the spiritual war, the information war, whatever you want to call it, is that there are people who resonate with the truth, who seek the truth, who prefer objectivity, reasoned, you know, good faith debate in order to achieve the truth. And then there are people that just want to hear and tell lies and. They've got, you know, this moralistic ideological agenda that's wrapped up in a belief system, which is based on, you know, the lies that they tell themselves, but they, they're in that, they're in that space. And so this is kind of what I see is this key difference is that we have truth people and we have lie people and all the other differences between people are just sort of these artificial constructions heaped upon us so that we argue and avoid that realization. But Brent, the yeah, civil I think rights that's right. movement never ended, Brent. It's still going on, Brent. Well, and now you could argue that the civil rights movement is, you know, has moved to the point where we need to eradicate anti-white racism and anti-male sexism. Can't say that, Brent. And anti-Christian sentiments that are very, very popular in the modern culture. Yeah, well, Doug Douglas Murray's talking about that stuff a lot on his new show, Uncanceled History, which is really good. You guys should watch it. You know, how the, the whole idea of this woke neo-marxist cultural revolution is like there's nothing good about western civilization 
have to rip it all down. Like we're not allowed to have heroes anymore. Like you're, you're not allowed to look at anyone from our past and see them in a nuanced way and acknowledge anything good about them. You have to right. only acknowledge the bad and you have to look at all of them as inherently bad. Like I have this uh, George Prime, uh, G Prime 85, George Adosopoulos t-shirt that's a red shirt that just says, I like America. And if I wear it outside in the streets of New York, I get some dirty yeah. looks. Yeah, it doesn't really. Even, yeah, just, doesn't even say I love. America. I like America. Like, it's just red shirt, white lettering. It's just such a like light, innocent statement too. But yeah, it's very. Strange. That's like everyone who got canceled for saying I heart J.K. Rowling. Yes. So very dumb. Innocuous. I'm gonna put an Amer a big American flag out front of my house, and I can't wait. Ooh, how subversive sure, yeah, of you. It's very, well, you know, this, this it's not really subversive in this area, but I also yeah. kind of want to be like, I kind of want to be like, I'm not, I'm, I'm I, not just because I have New York plates doesn't right. mean that like I'm this oh, crazy that's liberal. True. That's right. true. Well, yeah, because you're going to have, you know, people might be like, oh, she's the New yeah. Yorker. Yeah, yeah. And you're like, right. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I have not, I have not changed my plates. I suppose I should at some point. But if you change your license plates, do you have to change your license? Because I'm not, prepared uh, for that is so, that too much for you it, that's like that's... a bridge too far i mean i'm just not there yet i think eventually uh so the the license plate is the registration i think you have to, to do that you have to change your insurance i don't think you have right. to change your license as readily hmm. although i do think technically local law requires you to move your license over 30 days after you move it 30 I days i don't do it either i'm still my car is still registered what happens if you don't do they fine you or something no they don't it's very rarely enforced <clears throat> um in but if experience. i don't change my plates i have to keep paying new york insurance and that's insane yes. Yes. Like that's, that's no, breaking see, my bank. Yeah. Your premiums are going to be much lower. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I don't, I'm I don't not ready to, to change, change your license, license, but you do have to change your insurance. Can I have two licenses? Um, technically no. Oh, yeah. You keep your old one as a souvenir. Usually you know? what they do is so you can remember you when you go to the, your new local DMV and you sort of like turn it in and they'll, they usually play. Will they uh, take it? They stamp it. So they, they, sometimes they punch a hole in it or sometimes they punch oh. a void punch in it. Um, she's like, my heart can't take that. Yeah. Like I can take a lot of things, <laughs> but this is just too much. This is just too much. <laughs> yeah. That happens. So I, I got my, my Florida license when we moved down there during COVID and I have yet to switch it back. Uh, you know, it's on my list of things I to do. Don't here. you still have the Florida plates too? I do still have the Florida yeah. plates. Yeah, I have to change that. Technically, the registration's expired. I have a lot of things I have to catch up on. <laughs> <laughs> but I rarely drive my car. So. Yeah. Um, I didn't even have a driver's license until the pandemic, and uh, I hadn't. I had failed my driving test three times when I was a young person. I one time I was one. tripping on acid I'm, and I crashed. But oh no. What? Oh my God! Me... That's that sounds like a story right there. It, yeah, I was you know I was nineteen I think. Happens. Anyways, so I finally got my license uh, in twenty twenty. Okay. In New York, I like had a whole bunch of lessons, and it was only because of the pandemic because I went to get on a train in New York to go upstate Syracuse to see my sister, and the. Uh, the normal the normal way that it works you guys know when you're leaving town you go to penn state prior to the, the recent unpleasantness you go to the train and there's like 10 15 trains going wherever you want to go in the contiguous united states like four times you know a bunch all day all day you could get trains 
And so I go to get the train upstate. There were two trains. I had to pick between morning and afternoon. I was like, what, what? To go to Syracuse? Like, are you kidding? Like, there's gotta be more trains. There wasn't. And the way back, there was only one. And I was like, and we're, we're done. Once public transportation <laughs> is not working anymore, like, yeah. and that was really the beginning of the end because then I was keeping a car in Brooklyn. Yeah, and that's big yeah, money. Costs, so like Brent has it's to expensive. store his in a garage and yeah, pay a monthly garage fee for oh, that. Oh, that's expensive. I was parking on the street and my mom kept being like, honey, you should really park in a garage because how much that's is your garage? The garage associated with my building was like 350 a month. That's and she was like, that's really can. only a couple of parking tickets. And I was like, yeah, but I don't I don't get $350 worth of parking tickets a yeah. month. Maybe $175, but not $350. Yeah, that's a lot. <laughs> That's yeah. a lot of parking tickets. Oh, it's my Lord. a lot why of parking so many, <laughs> why so many people in the city don't bother with the car or driving. Yes, right, so but once transit, yeah. yeah, I mean, transit died, you know? Like, over the summer, I remember I would take a, I would go to Beach Cafe uptown on the east side, and I would take a, um, I would take an Uber home, and it would be like $85. <laughs> Crazy. Not so expensive. Ridiculous. Yeah, it. and sometimes they'd go to Queens, and I'd be like, "What? What are you doing? You know, like why are we in Queens right now? There's never a reason to be in Queens." <laughs> yeah, no, it's just another one of those things that's really changed. I mean, like public transport is back now, but the trains are so old and outdated. Like they haven't updated these things in how long? Like since what eighties mm -hmm. or something? Like there's always signal problems. Yeah, you know, God forbid you should be trying to go somewhere when it's raining. Yeah. So yeah, Libby, but... what are you going to be focusing on in 2023? What What are your interesting, what subjects are you interested in writing in? What are you guys uh, going to be covering at the Post Millennial? Uh, well, I'm, I'm, I think I'm writing a book. Oh, you think I you're mean, writing it's a not, book. Yeah, I mean, it's not like I don't have a deal for it or anything. Yeah. I just have ideas that are, are going to take that like long. That. And it's basically about being um, permanently uh, transitory. Um, I'm calling it rootless and that's sort of i've been interested on that in that like past couple of days again you know it like comes and goes Interesting. Um, it's like we were, and we talked about some of that stuff we, yeah today, it's been so on my mind I can um see yeah i think too like since i left like i've had uh, much more of an ability to reflect um because i'm not like in it i mean you know like yes. in new york yeah. you're like in it if you're in your apartment you're in a box in the middle of everything you yep. know um, and it's always like that. And it's, it's, it's a vibrant and wonderful place. But if you're right in the middle of it, it's hard to like, see anything else. Yeah. So it's interesting, when like, we went, when we went to Florida, we definitely mm -hmm. had a lot of time to reflect on just what we had left for a while and how different the environment was over there as opposed to here. Yeah. Um, I'm really interested in growing the post millennial and increasing our readership, which we certainly been doing rather consistently, I might proudly say, over the past nice. couple of years. And that's been really a lot of fun. Um, I'm very interested in the uh, very long election season that we're going to have for 2024. I'm yeah. interested to see what Congress is going to do in terms of their investigations. You have Jim Jordan, Marjorie Taylor Greene out there uh, really putting on some hustle. Um, I kind of like how Matt Gates and Lauren Boebert Berber, were incredibly obstinate. Uh, I thought that was kind of, kind of great. Honestly, yeah, yeah. Nice I really see. appreciated the um, attention and effort that they all put in to not just rubber stamping something, but to yes. um, getting priority priorities recognized. 
So yeah, so there's so much to look at. And of course, um, culturally, uh, you know, I'm interested to see what starts coming down the pike as the uh, woke stuff continues to make companies go broker. Yeah. Maybe they'll change. You know, maybe these companies will see that um, the bread isn't necessarily buttered on just that one side. Yeah, we're, we're hoping to see more uh, legislation pushing back against the the gender stuff and trans-transing yeah. kids. And that's, you know, what Bill Burke Chris has very much been about. And Marjorie Taylor Greene was actually out on the street with him in D.C. a couple days ago. <laughs> they, so, did, they did a yeah. smear job oh, on yeah. that. They called it Marjorie Taylor Greene's anti-trans protest. Yeah. It wasn't It wasn't that. even hers. It was just yeah. Chris going out to talk to people yes. on the street like he normally does. And he happened to see Marjorie Taylor Greene the night before at yeah. the restaurant and invited her and she swung by yep. and that was it. But like, good for her. She has know? legislation that she's trying to push through yes. uh, to protect kids from this kind of surgeries and also to allow uh, the period of um, suing doctors for malpractice to continue. If you look at, to increase, if you look at some of the doctors, there's this one doctor in Florida, in Miami, um, who does a very particular kind of uh, sex change, double mastectomy, um, which is called drainless. It's is called a the, drainless. Dr. Shibid, Shib, yeah, Shibid Gallagher, I think. Dr. Gallagher. I don't know oh, how you say know her, her first name. Yeah, no, I've seen yeah. docs. So this doctor does not carry malpractice insurance. She does not carry medical malpractice insurance, which you are not obligated to do in the state of florida uh, hmm. which makes a certain amount of sense given the state of florida right. but because she's not obligated to carry it she doesn't and this means that um ambulance chasing lawyers are much less likely to sue because they're much less likely to get a high um, payout because hmm. the settlement so her patients are essentially unable to get you know get any kind of claim and she specifically operates on um obese patients because of her dedication to inclusivity. So she does these drainless double mastectomies, which result in near death for many patients and a lot of complications. There was one woman who posted about the double mastectomy um, that she had, uh, although I, I believe she goes as he and had, uh, had her breast removed. Um, there ended up being a gaping cavity in the side of her chest full of rotten black flesh and Ugh. she almost died oh my god gross is this the yeet the teats yeah chick? this is uh, the yeet the teats yeah the yeah. one on TikTok. yeah she's very her. pretty yeah. blonde woman you know she's got round face very yeah, cute and just very, like, like disarming appearance it's so crazy like you're on this popular social media site where a lot of young people are on and you're you're promoting and touting this stuff as some happy amazing thing that you're doing it's mm -hmm. just I, it's like advertising I directly to minors i think it's sick i think these people advertising directly to minors yeah and you know of course when you look at tiktok and the way that tiktok is set up in china mm -hmm. these kind of videos are not shown to kids right they see math and panda videos yep. and in the u.s kids see twerking and cut your boobs off videos yep. it's like by design mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah it feels that way. And it's weird yeah. because mm -hmm. the Trump administration was aware of this. They were working to, you know, get the TikTok either banned or have the U.S. operation sold to a U.S. company. Couldn't get. They were it, trying. Couldn't they were get trying. it done. Biden administration still picking it up, trying to come to something. I was doing a did a write up 
on some recent news for it and they just recently hit another hiccup so like it's it's not going anywhere and it's very curious it's like neither the trump administration nor the Biden administration is getting movement on this issue meanwhile we still have you know the social contagion of trans trending and you know all this uh stuff impacting kids it's just like i'm just like blown away like how can how can parents let their children have like TikTok un unmonitored? Yeah, it's insane, and not just that, <laughs> I, yeah. The just the whole thing, you know, happening in schools as well. It's but like I was talking to my friend who's coming at them from all the angles: their entertainment, their education. My friend is a teacher in New Jersey, and he was telling me about like the policy there that they have to lie to parents, basically, if their kid is already socially transitioning. Well, this was guidance. requesting new pronouns, yeah. requesting a different name. And then when the parent comes, they have to switch back to the old pronouns, use the the name that the parent's That's familiar true. with. Yeah, and yeah, this is lying to them. We reported on this a while ago, and it didn't get a lot of traction, but it was actually in 2016 that the National Association of Guidance Counselors put out their guidance that this is what how it should go. So guidance counselors have been already looking at this for years yeah. at this point it was already there and so when we all started discovering it it was not new it was already well entrenched if you look at the um academic writing from the founder of drag queen story hour in san francisco the idea was uh the queering yep. of early childhood education they talk about and james Lindsay talks about this as well he's the one who first told me about it he was like hey you should check out this academic writing and I did um uh, great. I think yeah I think that was like in the spring or something I started looking at that but he said that um he saw writing that they want to put a trail of glitter in the carpet so deep that it'll never come out um and we certainly know any of us who've been in theater and vacuumed carpets that this is definitely a difficult thing to do just to get glitter out of a carpet yeah. never mind like out of your yeah. eyes like it's horrible yeah. it's everywhere um so, but this was part of the idea. All of this stuff that is coming to fruition now was part of the original idea. And it was pushed through by convincing people that it was the compassionate thing to do. And all of these, uh, you know, white women went along because they want to be compassionate. Yeah, uh, in a lot of cases, <laughs> white women are blamed. And in a lot of cases. <laughs> yeah, well, it is a large part of uh, the white guilt, I think, that gets pulled in you know and used in this way it, a lot of them definitely seem to be motivated by that but i lost you guys uh, for a oh, no, second no, no yeah there's a little hiccup okay. but you know this is also why we're seeing the like the quote-unquote don't say gay bill in florida which had nothing to do with any of that the parents way, rights bill yeah it's the parents mm -hmm. rights bill that's what it was about <laughs> it was about what i was just talking about like informing the parents keeping them in the loop right and it wasn't saying that you have to out the kids. Like there were even there was even a certain clause in there, I believe, that if uh, the staff or the teacher thought that there was a reasonable, um, you know, a reason to think that the student could be put in real harm or kicked out of their house or something like that, that you could keep certain things. But for the most part, you're you're supposed to encourage an environment of bringing the parent into the loop instead of encouraging yeah. the student to keep things from them. Yeah, That's the whole point of presuming it the parents of the it also, is very Marxist. It is, and it also conflates the idea with refusing to go along with delusions with abuse. Yes. Yeah. So it says that parents who do not do any, you know, it, who don't go along with weird gender stuff are actually abusive. There was a case um, 
that I think attorney Bernadette Broyles, who's really fascinating, uh, had in Florida where a dad realized, was made aware that his daughter was doing gender transition stuff at school only after his daughter had tried to hang herself in the bathroom yeah, twice. I story. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah. And yeah. so when it came down to it and he tried to get to the bottom of why it was kept a secret from it, it was because the family was Catholic and the school thought that their Catholic faith would prohibit them from accepting their daughter as trans. And the father said, clearly, you misunderstand my religion entirely. We love our children. Yeah, they don't even give them a Where chance. Where do y'all get off? Yeah. No, they don't, don't give, give them a, them a chance, chance because so they assume yeah. that the parents are going to be abusive and reactionary um, and acting out of uh, political yeah. interest instead of what's best for their projecting. children. That's all projection. They're projecting <laughs> exactly what they're doing onto you know their ideological. What well, was that recent story too? Wasn't there a father whose kid got taken? Jeff by Younger. Jeff Younger's having yeah, and, and yeah. The case was in Texas. It's a very tragic story where the mom's a pediatrician and the judge is friendly towards mom, and it's like you know Jeff is trying to stop the transition of his young son into uh, you know having having his puberty blocked and these kinds of things and the mother looks like a classic cluster b personality disorder who's just you know lying 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 pushing and pushing and pushing and she's getting her way she took the kid to california right i think yeah that's the other that's place. right and he was yeah. trying to get the child to not be in california and he lost uh he lost that that's the court sick. ruled against him yeah, mm -hmm. yeah california so has that crazy new trans sanctuary law yeah like, scott wiener pushed that through Yep. And Scott Weiner is actually working with uh, State Senator Brad Hoyleman in New York so that they can introduce they can introduce legislation at around the same time, the same kind of legislation. Ooh, so seriously, like I called Hoyleman's office to ask them something uh, and I asked, and they said, you know, they didn't know they hadn't put together that, like, I was in opposition to everything they stand yeah. for. Um, and they said outright, I have the recording. I recorded the call because in New York you can just do that because yeah, of uh, FISA. Yeah, that's a. I, I wonder what I have here. I'm going to miss that if I don't have that. I really liked that as a journalist. Boop, record. Yeah. Um, even if I don't share it, it's like easier for note taking. Anyway, Hoyle, uh, Hoyleman's <laughs> office said that they were working directly with Wiener's office on things wow. like um, trans, like dudes in women's prisons and. Um, you know, cutting off children's genitals and things you like know, that. We're gonna we're gonna have to do some uh, Alex Stein ninety nine yeah, style yeah. Uh, visitation of Mr. Hoyleman. Go over to Hoyleman's office. I'm pretty sure his office is downtown. The I one think that he he's operates off of. Actually, my representative at you know, probably. I'm pretty sure he is. Yeah. Yeah, we should. I think that sounds about right. Make sure you have a call. Pay him a. Pay we should pay him a visit. visit. Just, we should go you know what? Have a little meeting. Just call. Make sure that what his schedule is and show up. Right. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. I would love fun. that. If you guys do that, I'll report on it. Like, let Definitely, me know. Yeah. Definitely, we <laughs> should do it. Yeah. Well, Brent's Brent's been trying to do more on the ground stuff. I typically stay behind, but that's why he went to Boston. You know, we might try to do CPAC. Yeah, I want to do CPAC. Yeah. I think in March. Oh, that's like March. That. What is that? Like March? It's March, March like one. In, it's like yeah. March one, I think, in DC. It's in DC. Yeah. It's in DC, so it's close enough for us to drive and. Um, you know, uh, Bill Chris is going to be there, and we're big fans of his, so I like to show up wherever he's a great he is. Guy. Support. Yeah. yeah, I did an episode of um, of IRL with him. It was really a lot of fun. Yeah, we were happy yeah. to see him on It's good to see him yeah, there. Because we, you know, that guy's genuine, and he gets a lot of shit from the rad the fans. Feminists and all hate him. him. They hate him because he's making a lot of leeway on this issue. Megan Mur want... The Megan Murphy contingent really yeah, dislikes Murphy to... Issue. 
give him shit. Yeah, I'm not quite sure what happened there or why. They, well, um, were, I have the utmost respect for Megan as well, as, as well as Chris. Vancouver. And mm -hmm. when he started making waves, I think they just, they, they didn't. Well, anything. she moved, I think. She's yeah. in, I think she's in Mexico. She's in Mexico now. Well, their whole thing is like, they don't want a man to be the face of the movement. But this, this whole idea that this is something only affecting girls and women, I think is absurd. Like, yes, is it affecting girls more? We know it is as a social contagion. The gay boys it is. It is affecting them more. And does it have a more like threatening presence when it comes to like invading women's spaces and taking over women's sports of course it's affecting women more in that sense but boys and men are also being erased they're also well the real point is that. it's our it kind of doesn't matter it like yes. literally doesn't matter who is at the front of it the only thing that matters is that it stops and unlike the um activists on the left who want to maintain this stuff and maintain their jobs i would be so happy if it all came to a crashing end tomorrow yeah. and we didn't have to write about this anymore and we right. could go back Same. to writing about other interesting stuff as well because this takes up a lot of um this takes up a lot of pixels and yep. it it really shouldn't be happening at all no it shouldn't so you know you have matt walsh out there you have you know chris out there you've megan out there you have um kelly j keen uh Kara Dansky, there is literally room for everyone to go out yeah. there the and scream about this at the top of their lungs just, until it stops. Unify and stop, you know, like stop making it about who's the face of the movement or this. And this. Yeah, I mean, at, they should Chris at least just know. not get in each other's way. Yeah. One yeah. thing I think that would be helpful is if there were people putting together, and there are, but if there were people putting together um, helpful model policies and laws that uh, lawmakers across the country who are interested in putting a stop to this in their states could access yeah. um, that would really be helpful so that they're not constantly reinventing the wheel or coming up with policies that have too many loopholes in one direction or the other. Yeah, Chris there's has some, been there's some model legislation, legislation right? in Oklahoma. He got in touch mm -hmm. with state senators in Oklahoma who really liked his work, went down mm -hmm. there, spoke to one of the universities and got close with their with their politicians. And they're this year they're gonna be pushing I think it's like eight different uh pieces mm -hmm. of legislation on, on this yeah. issue, schools and stuff going across the board. And Chris is working at with Heritage, I think, as well. Um there was recently a gender summit there. And I was in attendance, as well as some other people who are absolutely fighting this without any concern for their own uh, fame about it. You know, yeah, it's just a bunch of people who want this to come to an end. He doesn't have ulterior motives. You know, having spent no, time yeah. with that guy, he's genuine. He really does care. That's why he's doing all of this. You were like, saying that his not family about the isn't fame. real. Like, yeah. I, I saw him FaceTiming with his, his family's he, real. He talked with his wife for like an hour in the other room. He went and like gave him space for all Talks this Talks with stuff. his family yeah. every night when he's on the road. So they say, all the, stories. they say all this crap about this guy and it's just like, You've never even met the dude. Breaks You've never heart. even spent any He's time with him. I'm like, but yeah. we are running out of time. Yes. Libby, thank you we so much. Oh, thank us. you guys. This was really a lot of fun. It's really appreciate we'll it. it um, maybe we'll have we'll have to have you back maybe for a panel discussion yeah, at some point. Ooh, that'd be fun. Ooh, that'd be fun. On. Um, where can people find you? I know the post millennial is your jam or your Twitter. You're just your Libby Emmons. Just Libby Emmons. Yeah. I'm Libby at Libby Emmons on Twitter. One word. Uh, Libby on Instagram. There's two Instagrams, but that's because one of them is just pictures of my kid for my family. So don't go to that one because I don't one. share that one. Yeah. Um, shouldn't. Yeah. yeah and the post millennial.com. So you can cool. come awesome. out there.
Yeah, I figure my kid gets a chance to figure out his own life before his face is splashed on my dumb Instagram. Yeah, no, that's one thing so, I really wish is that parents would just like less like, you know, public sharing yeah. of their children. Yeah, yeah like a my Instagram is mostly is like just pictures of me because I'm always like, which is also dumb, but like it's uh it's like me at different places because I'm like, I don't know if this person wants to be associated with me online. You know, like I just I just saw my old middle school best friend in New Orleans who I hadn't seen since middle school. And I was like, I took all these pictures and I was like, I know she is not aligned with me politically. I wonder if I should. And then I just didn't put the pictures up. Yeah. But, you know, so that's what it is. That like you know, I don't know. I a lot of those people are gone from my life at this point. So we had a lot of a lot of friends and family yeah. dissociate from us when we yep. started getting loud and proud and yeah. speaking out about the lockdown, mm -hmm. especially after the FBI. Right? Showed up. After yeah. The FBI, yeah. FBI showed up after Jan Six and all that. That was the big cutoff point for a lot of people because look at how the media painted the event and people didn't want to be seen to be associated with I don't know insurrectionists right or whatever so everybody well, I'm happy them. to be associated to with these insurrectionists oh, so thank you so much associated with you too. go follow Libby everyone don't forget to like subscribe comment on this video give us your money yes. read the post millennial <laughs> and we will be back again soon with another one thank you for watching bye bye see ya